can't even believe the excitement that was in our pre-service meeting this morning because I learned that one time every four years something comes around, and it's the Soccer World Cup. And Pastor Jeff could hardly contain his excitement. It was pretty impressive, you know. And so I just want to turn this over to Pastor Jeff. Impressive. Now, that's what I'm talking about right now. Actually, I kind of messed up my uh, hairstyle here, isn't it? This alarmed baby eagle look takes a lot of work. Yeah, Yeah, we've got the World Cup coming up. uh, Soccer, which, as we know, is God's game. England are not going to win. They never do. The last time they won was 1966, and I, I wasn't even born then. Hey, while you were sleeping, it's our series. We're finishing that today, and we're going to jump right in. The title for the message is, I Have a Dream, the Power of Forgiveness. So let's take a look at this, the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Uh, A few months ago, I told you about an an episode that happened uh, to Kay and to me. Uh, but it relates, I think, well to this weekend, so I'm going I'm to tell you again. It was uh, just before Christmas, and we were driving uh, out of town to go to Colorado Springs. I was going to speak at uh, First Presbyterian Church there in Colorado Springs, one of their Christmas events. And we're driving along the road, Kay and me, uh, you know, singing hymns as we always do whenever we are out together. And uh, we suddenly hit this nail, something in the road, and the tire exploded. It exploded, and I heard it explode. The vehicle swerved a little, and I, I turned to Kay, and I said, Sister Kay, what a delightful opportunity this is for us to rejoice together in this minor tribulation that we're experiencing right now. Amen, amen, she said as she handed me my tambourine, and we began to rejoice together. Anyway, we pulled over to the side of the road, and I'm, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm rubbish at anything practical. So I said, honey, I'll pray, you fix the wheel. I mean, was that, was that wrong? Now, we called AAA, and we called AAA, and a uh, guy shows up about three days later, and uh, no, it's just an hour. Nice guy, nice guy. He said, Mr. Lucas, he said, I, I can fix this for you, but you are slightly out in the road. And this is a dangerous, it's dangerous here. So he said, uh, I'll fix the wheel, you slow the traffic down. So I said, okay, I, I can do that. So I'm standing at the side of the road, ladies and gentlemen, using the international signal for slow down. 
which goes like this. Take note of this. This could come in helpful to you, okay? I'm standing by the side of the road and I'm going like this. It was really interesting to see people's reactions. Some people were confused, thinking that perhaps I was worshipping them, you know. (laughs) Other people got instantly mad. They wound down their windows. They cussed me out. They honked their horns, and not because they loved Jesus. (laughs) Some of them even shared another internationally known sign with me. What was going on there? What was going on, ladies and gentlemen, is that some of us live about a quarter of an inch from anger. It's just beneath our skin. And if you do anything, if you mess up my day, if you cause me to slow down, costing me 3.74 seconds of my life, I'm going to be mad. And we live on the edge. You went through that fast food drive-through. I hate drive-throughs. I I never get what I order. I order a hamburger and fries. They don't understand the speech impediment. I get 45 apple pies. (laughs) And you get your stuff and you're feeling good and the kids are happy and you hand out the stuff and then they forgot the ketchup. practicing making that noise all week. I just want to... <laughs> or you're in the parking lot. You locate the parking space that our Lord is reserving for you. <laughs> but then, Satan attacks. <laughs> and someone in a rusty SUV slips in there. And you've got a fish on the back of your vehicle, but you forget. You know, we can laugh about it, but actually living on the edge of anger is a very serious issue. Eighty percent of all murders are committed by people who had some relationship with the victim. Anger boiled over domestic violence, bullying. And it isn't helped by this kind of absurdly macho idea that that, he's a man's man, real man. You know, don't get mad, get even. Ah. This, this idea that vengeance is strength and, and kindness and graciousness and forgiveness, it can almost feel like you're being weak. Robert Kootner in his book, Everything is for Sale, said the person who volunteers time, who helps a stranger, agrees to work for a modest wage out of commitment to the public good, who desists from littering even though no one is looking, begins to feel like a sucker. See, we've got, we got this idea that getting even... Is, is strength. Despite all of that, there is a profound hunger for grace in all of us. Ernest Hemingway, in his short story, The Capital of the World, he opens the story by telling of a father in Madrid, Spain. This daddy puts an ad in the, in the Madrid newspaper. It simply says this, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday, All is forgiven, Papa. Noon on Tuesday, they have to call the police because 800 young men 
called Paco show up. Now, Hemingway's joke is that there's a lot of people in Spain called Paco. But the subtext to the story is that there are a lot of people who are looking for grace and forgiveness. And that's why this story is so important, ladies and gentlemen. The story of Joseph, this young man who, can you get this, at the age of 17 became a victim of people trafficking. He is trafficked by his betraying brothers who are envious. They've been envious of him for a long time. While he was sleeping, he has a dream and he shares the dream and that compounds their, their jealousy. So from the ages of 17, please see this, from 17 till 30, he's a trafficked person. He loses his youth to incarceration. From the age of 30 to 50, he becomes a husband, a father, and ultimately prime minister of Egypt, the second most powerful person in the nation. And then, 33 years after he ended up in a pit, he meets his brothers again. There's a famine where they live. Egypt's got plenty. They come to get some supplies, not realizing that their long-lost brother is now the prime minister And some incredible steps of forgiveness take place. So let's look at this together. First of all, if you're following in the outline, first of all, this is a story about the favoured dreamer and then bitterness begins. The favoured dreamer and then bitterness begins. Genesis 37, 5. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Joseph had a rough time. His mother died in childbirth, giving birth to his youngest brother. And then at the age of 17, he has this dream. He's already daddy's favorite. His brothers hate him for that. Now he has this dream. And so they traffic him. They don't just put him into a pit, but they, they, they sell him into the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites were famous in the Bible for their harshness, for their cruelty, particular to prisoners. And so his situation for 13 years is terrible. And then he lives another 20 years as he rises to power. 33 years of stewing could have happened. 33 years of simmering bitterness, what they did to me. And bitterness is an old problem. Uh, In England, we have a city called Bath. Uh, Most Americans call it Bath. Whichever. In Bath, there are baths. And in those Roman baths, there, is, uh, there are inscriptions that have been found from Roman bathers who have tucked their prayers to the gods in the, the nooks and crannies of the stonework there. Uh, one was found, it said this, Dosimedes has lost two gloves. He asks that the person who has stolen them should lose his mind and his eyes. Man, don't mess with Dosimedes' gloves. In Shoah, Shoah, Claude Landsman's documentary about the Warsaw Ghetto and the uprising, uh, in that television documentary, he interviews a survivor of the terrible oppression that happened there. And this survivor speaks of the Nazis, and he says, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. Bitterness. Uh, By contrast, many of us have heard of Corrie Ten Boom. Ever heard of Corrie Ten Boom? Uh, the beautiful book, The Hiding Place, and the movie based on the book. She, together 
With her sister Betsy were incarcerated in a Nazi concentration camp. Corrie Ten Boom said that she noticed working after the war with survivors. She said those who were willing to find forgiveness for their former enemies put their lives together again. And those, to quote her words, who nursed their bitterness, they continued to live broken and dysfunctional lives. Corrie said it was as simple and as horrible as that. 33 years it could have been. Let me ask this question. Is there bitterness quietly simmering away, hardly bubbling, but it's there. It's been there for so long you've made friends with it. It's become part of who you are. You don't know what you'd do without it. It might even give you an excuse for certain behaviors, that little stew that's in your soul. Joseph had plenty of opportunity for that to happen. He wouldn't allow it to. Bitterness. Secondly, there's the process of forgiveness. The process of forgiveness. A journey and not just a moment. A journey, not just a moment. Look at Genesis 42, 14 and 17. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. When he first meets the brothers, this is really important. When he first meets them, he doesn't say, Boys, great to see you. Excellent. You're forgiven. No. He sticks them in jail. Probably thinking, I'd like you to have a little taste of what I tasted. There is an evolution that takes place in his life. He gradually moves towards a place of forgiveness. Sometimes preachers make forgiveness sound like an instant thing. Just forgive. A friend of mine who comes to this church, a psychologist, says we can nudge people into premature forgiveness, saying something that they're not ready to say. A woman whose brother was shot in the Northern Ireland conflict said this, forgiveness is a journey. Today you can forgive and tomorrow you can feel pain all over again. And it's hard. Lewis Smead's writing about forgiveness. He says, forgiving, forgiving is love's toughest work and love's biggest risk. If you twist it into something it was never meant to be, it can make you a doormat or an insufferable manipulator. Forgiving seems almost unnatural. Our sense of fairness tells us people should pay for the wrong they do. But forgiving is love's power to break nature's rule. I love the way Martin Luther, nearly 500 years ago, put this. He, Martin Luther, the architect, or main, main uh, character of the Reformation, he said, good things flow from Christ and are flowing unto us. Let me just give you this picture. He's saying the forgiveness of God flows out freely to us, but God wants us not just to receive that, but to be a channel of forgiveness whereby that flows out to others. It's a flow thing. But sometimes that gets blocked. A few years ago I went to Israel and was privileged to be part of a group, an observing group, watching some of the diplomacy that was happening at that time. Kay and I sat in the office of the Israeli foreign minister together with the negotiator. We just sat in the corner quietly and watched and listened as the negotiator tried to persuade the Israeli government to allow Saddam Hussein's nephew, who was a cancer sufferer, 
to be flown into Israel where they had specialist treatment for that cancer that he might receive treatment. I couldn't believe my, my ears. You didn't see this on the news. It wasn't in the news. And incredibly, these two nations, which were sworn hated enemies, Israel said yes. And quietly, that young man was flown into that nation, had the surgery, which was not successful, sadly. What was going on there? What was going on was that someone was saying, let's, let's unblock the river. Let's take the rocks out so that the flow, perhaps, could begin. Forgiveness, though, it really is a journey. Are we on that journey? You know, a big step for some of us today would just be to say, God, I'm willing to be willing. It's not, it's not easy, is it? Even in petty things. I told you a few months ago, somebody, somebody somewhere irritated me recently. Really irritated me. Really, really irritated me. Get the picture? And I thought, I, you know, I, 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 know I, I, I know I'm supposed to forgive them, but I just want to send them a horse's head. <laughs> Forgiveness. Horse's head. And I didn't do that, although the horses in our neighborhood are still looking pretty nervous, I have to tell you. It's a journey. It's a journey. Thirdly, forgiveness and forgiving, a declaration of independence. Freedom and forgiving, a declaration of independence, I should say. Genesis 50. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you'd have said to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. This is some time after. Daddy is now dead, and the brothers are getting nervous now. They're thinking, Daddy's died. Joseph did this because Daddy loved Joseph. Joseph loved Daddy. Daddy is dead. Now he's going to get mean again. Do you know what they're doing? They're up to their old tricks again. There is no record that, that Joseph's father ever said that. And if he had, he'd probably tell Joseph, wouldn't he? Not leave a little note with the brothers. No, it's probable that they're up to their old tricks again, manipulating again, lying again. But please understand this. Us forgiving people doesn't rely on what they do. It doesn't rely on their apology. It doesn't rely on the authenticity of any apology. Because you see, what you do when you forgive, you break out of being a victim, being controlled by them and what they did. You say, I declare independence from your actions. I'm just choosing independently of you. Whatever you want to do, I'm forgiving. Not only that, forgiveness does not rely on an agreed version of the past. Joseph doesn't say, now, let's sit down, let's go back a few years here, boys, and let's agree what happened on that day. No, forgiveness is something that we just freely do because it's liberating, frankly, to us. Hannah Moore says, forgiveness is the economy of the heart. Forgiveness saves the expense of anger, the cost of hatred, the waste of spirits. There are two places where I love to go around here. I just love it. I went to both of them this week. I'm so excited. I love to take Kay, my wife, out for dinner. I love to treat her really good. And so we go to Sam's Club, where you get, like, <laughs> pizza and frozen yogurt. 
I know I'm just an insufferable romantic. I just can't help it. The other place I'd really like to to go is the garbage dump. I love the garbage. I could do a little dance when I think about my wife. You know, like maybe that when you hear, honey, take out the trash, you maybe get grumpy. I'm like, yes! Blessed be the name of the Lord. I gather up all the recycling stuff and I sort it out. Oh, yeah, and here, and then, and then, and then I, I take the, the, ta- the, the bags out and I put the tag on that I get at Safeway, you know, the tag. And then, and then I, put, I get really excited and I put them in the truck and then I go to the, the garbage dump and there's a man sitting in a little shed and he says, hi, what, what do you need? And I say, I'm, I'm, I'm here to dump garbage. And he looks surprised, and, which is odd. And then because it's a garbage dump, right? And then I go in and, I, and I, I go to the cardboard place and I go to the plastics place. <laughs> but then, woohoo! I go to the dumpster. The dumpster. I pull up my car next to the dumpster. I take out the stinking bags. With exhilaration in my soul, I dump them. I look at my vehicle, now empty of trash, and verily it stinketh not. And I drive home thinking, I love getting rid of my trash. Why not do that? I'm sorry, ma'am. That excess baggage, I'm sorry, we have a policy. Um, you can't carry that in your journey. Uh, it's really expensive. No it's, no, it's not 50 bucks. It's not 100 bucks. No, it's, uh, if you want to carry that excess baggage, ma'am, uh, that's going to be sleepless nights. That's going to affect your stomach lining. Uh, that's going to be a shadow over your relationships. Uh, if you want to you carry on, you can take it, but... I suggest you check it somewhere else. Take it to the garbage dump. Forgiveness. Forgiveness gives us that opportunity to declare independence. How about it? Number four, forgiveness is an act of faith. Forgiveness is an act of faith. Genesis 50:19. Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? This is strange. Joseph's saying, look, I'm not going to try to play God here. Now, over in the New Testament, there's a rather unusual verse tucked away in the 12th chapter of Romans, where, verse 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. The Apostle Paul is saying that for the Christian, forgiveness is not just a two a person-to-person deal, but God is involved in helping us to forgive. And strangely, sometimes we just say, God, I just give this to you. You do with it whatever you want to do. It's your, it's your deal. Now, I don't think that means that we say, Dear Lord, please nuke that person. I fervently pray today that you will fry them at 450 degrees. Yes. But it does mean that we step aside from the place of God and we leave room for him to be God. 
Lastly, finally, number five, what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. Minimizing, excusing, or necessarily trusting again. Joseph says, verse 20, you intended to harm me. Now stop right there before you rush on. You intended to harm me. He names it. But then he says, but God. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He's not saying that God organized for him to be trafficked. He's saying that though God is not the architect of the evil, he's the redeemer of it. But he says, you intended to harm me. Listen, forgiveness is not pretending that what the person did wasn't wrong and didn't hurt you terribly. Forgiveness is not denying that. And it's not just shrugging it off. You know, well, it's, I'm bigger than that. I'll just, I'll just shrug that off. Do you know what that is? That is Nietzschean philosophy. Friedrich Nietzsche, Nietzsche the, the humanist philosopher who strongly hated God, he talked about the superhuman. Nietzsche talked about being able to shrug off the offenses and, and the wrongs that others do. That is not what the Bible is teaching us. The Bible is saying, no, name it. You intended to harm me. Please get this. Forgiveness is built on the foundation of indictment. You did this, I forgive. The very fact that we are forgiving implies that we are making certain the reality that forgiveness is needed. It is not minimizing, marginalizing, excusing. It's not forgive and forget. People say forgive and forget. Oh, really? You try telling that to someone who's been terribly hurt. It isn't that somehow the images of what happened to us are supernaturally erased. Rather, it is that when we remember, we make positive choices about what we will do with the memories. Paul Tillich says, forgiveness is remembering the past so that it might be forgotten. It's not magically having the memories removed. Rather, it is saying, when I remember... I will not focus my mind or my attention on this and I will not allow that memory to motivate me into some negative action again. This is really important too. Forgiveness doesn't always mean retrusting. Forgiveness doesn't always mean retrusting. Joseph doesn't say, Hey boys, you're forgiven. So let's have us a barbecue in the wilderness. I know a great place where there's even a pit. <laughs> no, please see this. Forgiveness and retrusting are completely separate issues. When I forgive you, my forgiveness is not based on anything that you do. If I retrust you, that means that time has elapsed and I have come to a place where once again I can feel able to trust. But the two are distinct. You lend someone your car. They wreck it. You get it fixed. They come back the next week and they say, can I borrow your car? Should you lend this to them? You are not being gracious. You're being stupid. Trust takes time to build.
Maybe some of us have been reluctant to forgive because we've misunderstood what it means. Well, as we draw to a conclusion, I want to read you a poem. I've shared some of this guy's poems before, Gerard Kelly. He's a, he's a friend of mine. As our musicians come back, I want you just to enjoy the power of, uh, of these wonderful words. It's called, I Choose. I choose to forgive. Though the cuffs of my jeans are muddied from the dirt you have dragged me through, I choose to forgive. Though the nails of my fingers are blooded from the fighting you forced me to do, I choose to forgive. Though no book or belief I have studied can make sense of the path you pursue, I choose to forgive. Though the walls of my heart are broken and the centre of myself is bruised, by the lash of the lies you have spoken and the wounds of the words you've used, though I huddle a tear-trembling tragedy, stripped of the power to trust, Blocked off from all who might help me by the guilt that came wrapped with your lust. I choose to forgive. And this act alone breaks the cycle. This act alone rights the wrong. This act alone ends the evil. This act alone makes me strong heals blind hatred with soft sight, kicks the darkness into light. I choose to forgive. Pray with me. Lord, as we look at the wondrous grace that was demonstrated in the life of this man, Joseph, taking a journey, gradually finding his way to a place of release and freedom, even in the face of ongoing manipulation. We marvel, Lord, but we don't want to just marvel, but we want that free flow of grace and forgiveness in our lives. We want you to unblock the river in us. So help us, Lord, as we just pause and reflect around your word for a moment. With our heads bowed, I wonder how many of us today would say, Pastor Jeff, pray for me, because I'm, I'm in the journey of forgiving, and it's hard. Or maybe you're saying, actually, I'm, I've not even started the journey yet. I've not even really been willing to, but I want to be willing to be willing. And I need prayer. If you find yourself in that place, can I ask you as our heads are bowed, would you just slip up your hand for a moment, hold it there for a second, then just put it back down. Go ahead, right now. Lots of us responding. You can put your hands down. I wonder how many of us are on the other side of this. We know that we need to seek forgiveness. Apology is needed sincerely 
either to God or to another human being or both. We need to find some forgiveness. If that's true for you, would you slip up your hand for a moment, please? Just do it right away. And you can put your hands down. These are very important moments. So, Lord, we pray for our friends today. They are as we are, fragile human beings. Thank you that we are not alone in this. We're not left to try and work out a moral philosophy in our own strength. But you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, can help remove the biggest boulders in the river. So help them to forgive. Help them to find forgiveness, we pray. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Just our voices. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. And again, so let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. team are going to be here. Don't forget what I said about prayer, prayer room, folk ready to pray with you there. You are greatly, greatly loved. Hope you know that. Have a great weekend. God bless you.